This morning, um, I'm going to try and communicate what I feel God's um, put in my heart in, in several different ways. Um, but I just want to ask that you listen, listen for the heart of it. Right? Just listen to, um, just listen for the heart. And um, as we, as we, as you hear this, I think um, you'll hear what I feel is is God's heart for where we are um, at this point in in our life. So I want to begin with a question here. You ever have you ever said, "Man, I really, I really want to experience God in my life." You, you, have you ever said that that recently? Like, I, I I just want to know that that God is real. I just want to see God working. If I saw God working, then I, I, I would know that he's real. I would be able to witness him. I'd be able to experience him. I'd be able to sense him. I'd be able to know him. I'd be able to, to tangibly have something by which to go on, to go by, to know that, that God is real and that he's working and that he's alive. Have you ever wanted to see God at work in that way? If you're here, there's probably some, at least an inkling of a desire to see God at work. The question is how, right? How do we see God at work? How do we see God working? And what I want to tell you this morning is that I don't think it's as difficult as we think. Here's why. Because in John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My Father is always working. To this very day, He's working, and I am also working with Him. So basically what He's saying is, God is working. A lot of times we try and, and, and figure out and manipulate and, and, and create these plans and say, God, would you, would you show up in this work that I'm trying to do? Where Jesus is saying God's already working and the mission is not that we try and figure out um, how to make God bless our stuff, but to find out how God is working and then to align our lives into that. So, so God is, is moving in this direction. There's a, a river, a stream of God that's moving in, in this direction. Then it would be wise of us to get out of this place and to get into this place where God is working. Does that make sense? All right, so where is God working? How is God working? How can I align my life with it in order that I might see his work at work in my life? I believe with all of my heart that God is at work here in our midst. And I know a lot of us believe that also. A lot of us believe that, and a lot of us have bought into that, and a lot of us are, are giving ourselves to this fact that we believe God's at work and that greater days are coming and that the best is always yet to come for the people of God. And particularly in this moment in time, we stand poised at the edge of something. We feel like it's, it's, about, to, it's about to be a breakthrough time for us. I believe with all of my heart that we're going to look back at this period in our congregational history and we'll say this is a point in time where god was challenging stretching us pulling us pushing us to take a step of faith and if we do right now what we do right now is going to make all the difference in the world literally in the world not just in your world in your little world but in in the world as our construction committee building committees gotten together five six weeks in a row you can read about the latest update in, in the letter that i wrote but as we've gotten together we've we've prayed and we shared we vision cast we just kind of got a sense of what god's doing we came up with this one phrase that i uh that i presented to y'all last week that opened the door that kind of encapsulated everything that we feel like god is doing and that god is going to continue to do through our church if you remember what that was you remember if you don't there's a quick video that 
will help us to, to jog our memory here. You may have seen this. There it is. America's Funniest Home Videos brought to you by ABC. That's what we're doing. We're trying to build bridges to get people from one side to another side that they couldn't possibly get to. And we presented the idea last week that we're trying to just real quickly presented the idea that we're building three kinds of bridges that would bridge the gap between two things, two sides that otherwise couldn't be brought together, that a lot of times aren't brought together. That's the reality. And so as we put up this building right to your right, hopefully by, uh, by this year we'll be worshiping in there. But as we put up this building, we're trying to build bridges. What kind of bridges are we building? I want to flesh that out a little bit today. I want to share with you the vision of what we're trying to do. And it begins um, in God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 21. So if you'll turn there, the first bridge, three phrases that kind of capture this. It's reach out, raise up, reflect Christ. But the first thing, reach out, it's a bridge between God and the lost. Okay, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, not 1st, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Second Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. This is the first bridge. We're going to look at two other passages that talk about the other bridges. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Saying here's a sinful world that is at war with a holy God. And the, the imploring heart of Paul, the exhorting heart of Paul is be reconciled to God. And once you have been, therefore you have become an ambassador calling other people to be reconciled to God. Build a bridge between a sinful, lost, hurting, dying, hopeless world and an almighty God of hope and of joy and of purpose. This is what he's calling us to do, to build a bridge between the lost and God. Last, uh, last week, something great happened in my life. I think it's something great. A couple months ago, I lost something very valuable to me. I had a checkbook in my bag that I bought from China. I bought this little um, Bally, fake Bally bag. They were selling it for $200 in the black market in China. I haggled down. I got it for $20, $20, real, genuine leather. I got that bag, and I carried my checkbook around in there. 
One day I went to write a check and I realized that my checkbook was gone. This was terrible. So I, I, I said, I could have sworn it was either in my bag or on, on the table at my house. And so I said, Olivia, Olive, have you seen my checkbook? She's like, I haven't seen it anywhere. I'll look for it. I said, Manny, Manny, have you seen my checkbook? It looks just this little thing looks like this. I said, have you seen it? She's like, no, daddy, I didn't take it anywhere. So I said, Elijah, Elijah, I had, a, I had a backup checkbook that doesn't have any checks in it, but just has a, I said, Elijah, have you seen this? Did you put this anywhere? He didn't say anything. So I knew Elijah's, he's 20 months old. Elijah didn't say anything. So I was mad at him for the entire three days because you know that silence implies guilt. So I was like, Elijah, he must have put it somewhere. Where is it? And so I'm asking, I'm badgering. I'm like, you guys haven't seen it anywhere. And every other day, I'd, I'd say, you haven't seen, man, you haven't seen it anywhere. And I, I, I didn't trust her. So I looked in all of her toy boxes thinking maybe she had put it in there. I said, where's my check? But I couldn't find it. I didn't know how much money. I, I, I checked on, online. I found out how much money I had, which wasn't much anyway. So it's not like anyone's going to steal anything. But I, for peace of mind, like, where is that thing? And so I sought solace in my house church. I said to them, guys, um, I, I lost my checkbook. And the leader of our house church laughed at me and said, checkbook? Who uses those things anymore? I was like, great. Oh, insult to injury. So here I am looking for my checkbook. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And so finally, you know, I prayed. And a lot of times when I lose things, I pray and I say, God, did you show me where it is? And a lot of times within like a, a little bit, I'd be able to find it. Like this is, I think God has gifted me. There's certain weird things that I pray for and, and, and God often gives it to me. So I, I pray, God, show me where this, where this checkbook is. And, and I thought I saw in my mind's eye this vision of where it was. And I looked and it wasn't there. And I was like, dang it. And so I'm praying again, praying again, and, and still can't find it. And I was like, maybe. I, don't, I haven't had to write a check for about 10 days. Now I have to write a check for uh, Manny's tuition and, and stuff like that. And so I... Uh, so I said, maybe God's just waiting until the right moment, right when I need it, to show it to me. So I prayed one more time. I said, God, I got to write a check before Manny goes to school. Not college tuition. It's pre-kindergarten. It's a tiny kid's tuition. So I, I, I said, God, show me where this is, please, in the name of Jesus. I'm not praying in my name. <laughs> I'm praying in Jesus' name. And I said, amen. And I looked, and I, cu- I couldn't find it. I had these other checks, you know, this is like for, for if you're OCD like me, then skipping like 25 checks is really bad. So, but I said, I've got to do it. So I skipped 25 number checks and I, I wrote a check and I sent it off and it was terrible. And I was living life with this other weird checkbook and it just wasn't right. And so a couple of weeks ago, something even worse happened. I lost that checkbook. I was like, are you serious? I said, Olive, what the nasty? Did you take my checkbook? I haven't seen it. You lost another one? I said, I lost another one. I said, Manny, Manny, there are two checkbooks somewhere out there. Have you seen one? of them? I don't care which one. Have you seen one of them? I said, no, Daddy, I haven't seen it. Elijah, I'm already mad at you. Do you know where my checkbook is? He had no idea. So it's like I sent them. It's like, have you seen Fugitive, the movie Fugitive? It was like a movie from the 90s. Amazing. It's a great movie. It's actually a movie from, they redid it, a movie, I think, from the 60s. But they're like on this all-out hard target search. I want you to search every man house, outhouse, dog house, hen house in a 15-mile radius. You find that man. And I was like, you find that checkbook. Go. So I'm looking for it. And I'm looking under the tables, under the bed. I don't know how we're getting under the bed, but couldn't find it. I prayed, God, show me where this checkbook is. We went to our fasting prayer retreat last week, and, and 
I was uh, sharing a devotional on how we need to keep on asking until we, 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 we receive and keep on seeking till we find and keep on knocking till the doors open. And I told them this story and I said, but I still haven't found my checkbook. And instead of praying for it, they all laughed at me. Very, yeah. So we have a ways to go in terms of understanding, connecting the message with action. But I, I, I just, in my, in my, lo- just all alone in my sorrow, said someday, someday. And so this past week I was praying to God, like, Lord, I don't care. I don't care. You know, I, there's no money in it for people to take. But the question, like, where did it go? Like, where did these two checkbooks go? I don't, I, I don't think I'm losing my mind like that. And so I, I think this was inspiration. God dropped something into my heart to go look in your bag. So I said, okay, I looked at my, I took, I had checked my bag multiple times because that's where I keep my checkbook. I took everything out of my bag and I started feeling around and I felt two checkbooks. Like where, so I looked in every possible pocket, and I realized that in the zipper pouch, because this is from China, $20, real bally bag, there's this massive hole in it, and they sunk through there and just kind of wove their way down into the bottom of the checkbook. And when I found these two checkbooks, I went running around. I said, oh, have I got it. I found it. Man, Elijah. Elijah, I'm so sorry, Elijah. He's like staring like, what's wrong with it? Like yelling and dancing. I said, tonight we're eating steak. Afterwards, we're going to McDonald's. We're going to have a Sunday. All of us are going to eat it. Olive turned on the Cupid shuffle and she started dancing. We're like, yes, it's amazing. And my little wallet crawled up and said, what's all this commotion about? What's all this commotion about? Why the party? I've been with you the entire time and you never did it. And I said, my checkbook was lost. But now it's found. It was dead but is now alive. Listen, y'all, if that's the joy in finding a stinking checkbook, how much more, Jesus says, the joy when something of real worth is reunited to the one who's been searching and looking for it for all of their lives. You ever experienced this joy of finding something that was that valuable to you? Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables, one right after another, about things that get lost and about the joy of finding them. He talks about this shepherd who had 99 sheep, 100 sheep, and one of them was lost. He says he would leave the 99 behind to go looking for that one lost sheep. He talks about a woman who had 10 coins, and she loses one of them, and she rips open the house in order to find that one. He talks about a father who had two sons, and one of them was lost. When that son comes home, he throws a party for him. He hugs him. They, turn, they give him the best robe. They put sandals on him. They kill the most expensive animal in the barn, and they celebrate because this son of mine was lost, is found, and has come home again. You know, there's nothing that brings me more joy than when I sit across someone at a restaurant and I implore with them to be reconciled to God as I talk about the gospel with them. Have you experienced this joy before? When you sit across a table at, at Starbucks with somebody and, and they, start, they start weeping and they start crying tears of joy. Like, how could God love somebody like me in this way? 
And if it's really true that he is my father, then I want to, I want to ask him into my life. And nothing excites me like seeing that. Have, have you ever experienced the joy of seeing somebody that you prayed for, that you brought out to house church, that you led to the Lord, and they, they, they sat up here and they knelt on the bench as the waters of baptism were sprinkled over their head. And when you hear their testimony and you, and you hear them talk about how they were so lost, but now in him they're found. Like nothing moves my heart like that. As they share about how their lives were changed because of the gospel. And, they, and, and you hear sniffling in the congregation because they know that this is a miracle of God's grace and nothing that any human being could do. That this is solely and strictly the work of God. When you get up and, and you hear and, and you ask a, a, a recent convert, can you just pray in the simplistic prayer? It's always prefaced by, I've never done this before. And to hear that prayer being offered up to God. You see, this is why, this is why we need to, to, to build, like to build a gym, to build bridges. Because we need to see more people like that come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I know that there are people in your life. I know there are people in your life. I mean, yesterday we had a funeral for the father of one of our people. And as always, these things lead us to think about our own mortality, lead us to think about our own death, lead us to think about our parents, to think about our grandparents. I know that there are people that you're praying for. I know that you're people, there are people that you're, you're, you're longing for, that when you get to, to, to God's side and, and glory, there are people that you want there to be with you. I know there are for you because there are people like that for me also. But this is why we need to build. Did you know that they say when a room, a worship room, it used to be 80, now they say it's 70% filled, then new people will stop coming. What that means is that 45 people ago, we should have stopped seeing new people come, but they keep on coming, and people keep on coming to know the Lord God. Why? Because my father is always to work at work, even to this day, and our mission is not to try and figure out how can I get God to bless my work. It's to see where God is working and then to put ourselves in line with that stream and say, God, this is where you're moving. We want to get in line with this, and we want to get on board with your program. The first thing it means is that we, we stop living for our own desires, stop living for our own dreams, and we start living and waking up to the dreams of God. That's how we're going to experience God. God. And so many of us, I, I hear from people, they say, I want to I know God, I want to meet God, but they've got their own lifestyle, they've got their own sins, they've got their own things going on, and they say, I can't meet God, I can't experience God. Why? Because there's a clear way in which God is moving, and he's calling us to get on board with that. We're not the ones saying, God, it's my way or the highway. It's him saying, this is the way it's always been. I will always be faithful. It's predictable. My love never fails. This is highway of holiness right here. If you want to get blessed, you get in line with this. It's always the way it is. You want to see God work? Take a step of faith. Build bridges. Reconcile people to God through the cross of Christ. This is what God is telling us. You want to see God at work. You want to see God moving. Right? You got to get into the word. You got to pray. You got to take steps of faith. This is where we're going to see God at work because this is how he's moved throughout history and this is how he's still moving. So we implore others on behalf of God, be reconciled to the Father. We're building bridges between the lost and God. That's the first reason we're building out here. Second thing, Judges chapter 2, verse 10.
Judges chapter 2, verse 10 talks about a very dark and, and sad day in the life of Israel. It's both a challenge and a warning to us as a people of God today. It says uh, in, in verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. It's talking about a, a dark day in Israel's history where the generation that inherited the promise and rose up saw the amazing, miraculous hand of God. But it's saying that generation died. Another generation grew up. They didn't know God, nor did they even know the miraculous works that God had done in the lives of the generation before them. The second bridge, as we talk about raise up, is we're building a bridge between the generations. Because, you see, it doesn't happen naturally. How tragic is it? How tragic is it that this generation, see, the miraculous hand of God, for some reason didn't tell their own children about who God was or about the great work of God in their lives? How could this be? How could this be that a, a parent could not tell their children about the greatest acts that they'd seen in their lives? Either they didn't love God, they didn't love their children. For some reason, it didn't get translated. The baton didn't get passed to the next generation. And so often, this is what's happening in our culture. When men and women, fathers, mothers, parents, who fill the pews of churches... Don't pass these things on to the next generation. It's a tragedy, but it's a tragic reality. So we're building out there. Why? So that we can have spaces where this can happen. We can have a gym, a cafe, places where this kind of dialogue and, and, and mentoring can happen. I, I don't know if you remember... I've talked about this before, but a couple years back, I was preaching at a church in Seattle. They'd asked me to, they'd asked me to preach about the call of God on the generation to the generations to come. And so I got there a couple of days early, and I was just spending time, and I'd had my message, I had my talk, but just was asking the Lord God to continue to reveal things that this particular congregation needed to hear. And as I was hanging out with my family and, uh, and Manny's cousin's family, her two cousins, little ones, four and two at the time, I think, or three and, and one at the time, probably four, four years old, the eldest girl named Tabitha. She's just kind of dancing around, happy-go-lucky girl, just swinging her arms as we're at the zoo in Seattle. And she starts singing um, this song by Toby Mac. She said, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And as I was hearing that, I mean, a lot of different thoughts popped up into my mind. But in my spirit, it's like God was just revealing and just opening up something in my heart saying, as you hear her, this is the cry of a generation. And what good is it, parents? Listen, moms and dads here, this is me included. What good is it for us to give the whole world to our kids and they lose their soul at the end of it all? 
Right? What good is it that we give them a great education? We give them all the money, all the things that, that this world longs to have. Give them a car at 16. Give them an education and all the things that they need. And they, they forfeit their soul and get to the end of it all and say, I wasted my life. What good is that? Right? Not just parents. This is all of us, spiritual parents. If you're a teacher, if you're a house church, if you're investing young, every, even the sixth graders in here, you have a responsibility to the people who come behind you. Right? What are we teaching them? What are we giving to them? As you teach Sunday school, you take them out to eat McDonald's. Is that all we're giving them? Or are we giving them something that's going to last into eternity? I don't want to give them the whole world and they end up losing their soul. It is a responsibility of one generation to tell the coming generations of the great deeds of God and to teach them to not only hear about him, but to know God, to know him. That there would be a fire in our bones, that this would be our prayer. That we wouldn't, we talk about the next, oh my goodness, look at them. They're so filled with sexual immorality. Look at them, their shorts are, are too, too high and, and their, 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 their pants are too saggy. They've got all kinds of piercings. We have no right to talk down to them if we're not investing into them. Right, they're a byproduct of our leading the way for them. And if anything, they're reacting, they're rebelling against our failed leadership in their lives don't blame them unless we spent time at the mat praying for them shedding tears for them because that's our responsibility that's all that's on us i don't care if we say we're burdened for the youth or not that's on us that's on us because our generation of who's who's going to lead the next generation when ask them to lead themselves that's that's on us we see here that the church is always one generation away from extinction. One generation away, that's it. My generation doesn't tell the next generation about Jesus, that's it, the church in America dies. That's it. You want proof, you look at, you look at churches throughout the world. You look at churches throughout the world. You go, go to Europe and look at these massive cathedrals filled with 20, 30 people worshiping on Sunday morning. It's not if we build it, they will come, No. We've got, to, we've got to do our part. If we do our part and align ourselves with the will of God, then the Spirit of God will come and meet us and touch us and will thrust us into that place to see his power working in our lives. Our church is built, is built to last because we are intergenerational here, because people at every stage of the way invested into the lives of people who came beh- uh, come behind them. And the history of our church, and this is, I mean, it has nothing, this is long before I came, 25 years ago. Just wanna, this is from, from what I hear and see. 25 years ago, there were these two young boys who grew up in our church. They, they, were, they caused all kinds of trouble. They skipped Sunday school class. They frustrated their teachers. They bounced kids off of seesaws and made them go flying. They picked on kids. They caused all kinds of these troubled things. But they had people, teachers, leaders who believed in them, who prayed for them because they believed that, God, you can do something that we can't do, that you can do something in this next generation. These two guys are still here. One of them is Eugene. Another guy is Jason. These guys grew up. These guys grew up, and as long as I've been here, they've been serving teaching our youth ministry, right? Jason, teaching our youth ministry, going on mission trips, leading worship on mission trips. 
leading, John Kim, he's a dentist, Oogs. He, in one of his testimonies, he said it was at a retreat where Jason shared the gospel with him that John's life was changed. So Jason, you know, he's had his ups and downs, but he's walking faithfully with the Lord God. He stands up here sometimes, leads our congregation in worship. By the grace of God, some years ago, he married this amazing woman from Virginia. And together, Jason and YK have had two children who are the delight of our congregation. Emmeline, Madeline, beautiful little kids. And YK, once she got plugged into our church, she started teaching youth ministry, started teaching Sunday school for, for a couple years. She taught back in, when we were out in, in our old building. And she taught, probably not a good idea to put the most gentlest voice with the loudest and biggest class, but we did. And in that class, other teachers would say, man, they're so loud. Can you calm them down? Can you quiet them down? But she would bake for them. She would teach them. She would pray for them. I know it's not just her. There was a lot of people that were involved in it. But out of that group, we've got a guy named, named Alex Pack who's teaching, helping to teach these eighth graders. A shell of a person that he was back then. Completely different. He's a celebrity in the mission field in Ecuador. You go see him. <laughs> The girl named, girl named Monica Lee, who's now a nurse. Monica, she probably was not one of the riffraff there, but she was probably listening to what was going on, trying to lock into what her teacher was saying. She got into college, got into nursing school, and she stood up in her nursing school orientation, 130 people that most of them she didn't know. And she stood up and she said, my name is Monica Lee, and I want to be a nurse for Jesus. And she started the first nursing Christian fellowship through InterVarsity at the University of Central Florida. It's going on to this day that nurses are coming and the unique challenge they deal with, they deal with death all the time, but they're finding a support because Monica began to have a vision. Another guy in this class rose up, a guy named Joshua, Tico Kim, from the time he was in eighth grade, from the time he was in 10th grade to the time he was 21 years old. Every summer he gave his summer, invested his summer to go in the mission field, inspiring so many of us three years ago, two years ago, passing away on the mission field. And through him, so many more people have been on missions than in any year past in these last two years. Probably the toughest nut to crack in all of that group was a guy named Kenny. A guy named Kenny out there just doing his own thing. He's now leading our youth ministry, investing in a generation, seeing a generation rise up to love Jesus and to give themselves to know the Lord God. You think Jason's teacher would have ever dreamed in that moment that this guy is going to lead to this much? You got this guy, Eugene. He was, when I got down here, he was leading the missions program at our church here at Harvest. He married a girl who grew up in our church, went to youth group. They, she had a crush on him for a long time, but they got married together, Joyce. Beautiful girl. Spunky, Evelyn, and they've got another Eugene Jr. on the way. World changers, little people. They're going to ruin the world for Jesus. Joyce, when she's got the, her, her first years in college, right, they are living for the Lord God, many of them. And they say it was the investment of Joyce for two years in our lives to prepare us for college. And she didn't do it perfectly. She'll be the first to admit. But every week she was ready, and she prayed for them. She gave herself to them. Eugene is leading the, the Thailand house church. 
And through the ministry of Thailand House Church, we have a fellow named Josh Shin. He came to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Josh is leading his family in a way that, I mean, I'm so blessed by Josh. He, when he talks about how they have family devotion and, and, and they do it together, and he wants to do it before the cement hardens in their kids' hearts so that they say, why are we doing this? He wants to do it now. And these kids grow up, they're going to say, Dad, I'm so glad that you met Jesus. I'm so glad that you met Jesus. He's one of the key members of our construction committee. Through that Thailand House Church, the Osaka House Church was birthed. James and Casey Ye leading that. Through that, Lynette Thomas came to the saving knowledge of Jesus, and she's one of the most evangelistically passionate people that I know. She's going to fill that, that new building with people who don't know the Lord God. You think when next week Eugene is going to commission Seho to serve, Seho was a product of Eugene's ministry in their house church. Back in the day, Seho was a leader of the college house church, which multiplied, which Paul and Hong are now leading. People are being changed through that. Seho's going to start a, a, a new house. You think when, when this teacher looked at Eugene and prayed for him, that he knew that this would be the fruit. And when we line ourselves with the will of God, there's no telling what God can do. It is never a waste to give to the next generation. It's always an investment. It was people like Pastor Kenny Ye, James's brother, for whom our building will be named, who believed in guys like Jason and Eugene, who invested into them, who prayed for them, who gave, who sacrificed, who stayed up late nights in order to see him and their generation rise up to love the Lord their God. Guys, we've been blessed. Adults, we have been blessed with so much here, with so much here. The question is, what are we going to do with it? So many movements, so many great movements even, so many great movements fall apart because we sit on the blessing, because we don't pass it on to the next generation. May that not be our legacy. They don't want the whole world if it's going to cost them their soul. They need Jesus. They want Jesus. We're building bridges to the generations. Lastly, Matthew chapter 5, the last bridge we're building is a bridge to the community. Reflect Christ. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. This is Jesus himself talking. Jesus himself, the light of the world, says to us because we reflect his light, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Hey, verse 15, you light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Jesus is being silly again. You know, he's silly a lot. He's funny a lot. He makes, he says funny things. Ha ha, Jesus. Light a lamp, put a bowl over it. That doesn't make, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to put it on a, put it on its stand. Gives light to everyone in the house. Who lights a lamp and covers it? How silly is that? We do silly things too. Let me, <laughs> I want to show you, uh, I want to show you some silly things that people have, have created in the past. This is, this is some silliness here. Look at this. I want to show you some silly inventions here. (laughs) 
she was really tired coming home from work, and so she needed a subway chin rest in order that she would prevent herself from falling down. Okay, next one, a rainy day cigarette holder. In case you're smoking outside and you need an umbrella for your cigarette, there you go. Okay, next, a chopstick fan for all you noodle lovers. Yeah, I don't know why they're all Asian, but it gets worse. Okay, next, a dumbbell phone. For those of you who want to, that's a telephone, by the way. For those of you guys who have never seen, you only know cell phones. This is what phones used to be like. They used to have a cord on it. This is a dumbbell phone. You pick it up, and next we have a toilet roll hat for, would have come in handy for those of us who are sick this week, need to blow your nose, and need a con. In case you don't have pockets, you can have a toilet roll hat. Pizza fork, how ingenious. I know someone said that's awesome. Yes. Laziness is the mother of invention. Good. Next. Aqua notes. Yay. Too bad your pencil will get wet. Beautiful. Okay. Next. Bacon floss. It says leaves mouth bacon fresh. I don't know how fresh that is, but some of y'all would love that. Here's the last one. Solar powered. Hmm. All right. Solar-powered flashlight. You guys get why that's silly? I hope you do. There's one place you don't need a flashlight. Let me just kind of break it down. If there's one, I, I know, it's charged by the sun. But listen, what if you're out of charge? You need the sun. You don't need a flashlight when it's already bright outside. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You think the light is needed in places where it's already bright? Silly Jesus, that's actually us. A lot of times. Jesus says, therefore, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Take this light and shine it all around into the darkness, into the places where it's most needed. We're building a bridge into the community, places where the community would not want to come. Now, there are not many places in this area that has a I, I Actually, I've talked to some people at Starbucks who asked me, hey, where, where, do you, where do you play basketball? There's no places around that we can place. We have to pay lots of money to rent a place. But what if our, 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 our place became a a meeting ground where people could come and they could congregate and they could just play in a safe place and, and through it they could meet some of these light people, like people who shine the light. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be what Jesus is talking about here? I want to I just remind us what it means that we are the light of the world. I know that I, I, I risk certain things here, but in the seat in front of each of you, um, there's a glow stick. If you could take that out without breaking it. And again, okay, listen, I know you don't have to talk. If you don't know, if you don't have one, maybe uh, in the back, Biggie um, has one. If you don't have one, you go, Mingi, Minji. Um, 
So here are my options, okay? I could have had everyone bust out their cell phone to show the light, but I felt like I would feel like we're at a concert. I'm like giving matches to everybody, but <laughs> I don't trust some of y'all. I thought about, if I gave out flashlights, then I'd have no money left. I thought glow sticks, because it's going to be a party in here. Those of you who've never used a, a glow stick, don't do this right now. Don't do this right now, but I'm going to show you how it works. For those of you who are 30 and older, this is how glow stick works. Break it, and you shake it. That's it. Break and shake. And everywhere where it's not lit up, just keep on breaking it. Don't do it right now. All right. And you shake it. This is what we do. As we have out our glow sticks, I'm going to read through a series of questions. And if you feel like that question, if you feel like that question is talking about you, you just from where you are to, to go ahead and, and break, your, to break your light stick, your glow stick, and just keep it where you are. And then at the end of these questions, um, as the lights go out, if we can turn out this screen here too, um, we, can, we can just um, close our eyes as we listen to these questions here. And then after I ask these questions, I'm going to ask everyone who's lit up their light to just hold it up. Did you meet Jesus and find new life here through our church? Did you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus? Same way of asking the same question. Did you see a parent get saved or a child get saved here at our church? Did you have a spouse or a friend or someone else that you love get saved in our church? Have you grown in your relationship with God in a dramatic way here? Like you would be a completely different person if you weren't here. Did you meet your spouse here and are you grateful that you're married to them? Were you at a breaking point, but you found hope in your house church or SNF or through youth ministry or through friends, family that you met here? Was your marriage strengthened, healed through the ministry of our church? Did you get inspiration and strength to make it through another week? Did you learn how to pray here? Did you see prayers answered because you learned how to pray and you leaned on the prayers of others? Did you go to a retreat or revival here that would leave your life forever changed? Were you in a crisis ever and found in church a place to call family? Did you discover your spiritual gifts and find joy in serving God? Did you find a spiritual parent, brother, sister in our church? Did you go through a time of grief and find hope? Struggling with addiction and find healing? Did you find guidance at a key moment of your life? Suffer a heartbreaking loss only to find comfort here? Did you baptize a child here and see kingdom keepers pour love of Christ into your, their lives? Has your life somehow been touched and changed, transformed by the power of God through our church. If 
you answered yes to any of these questions, I just want you to, to raise, your, raise your glow stick in the air. Just look around at the people here. Do you know people in our community that need to know the God who gives this kind of light to people? As this is a moment where our world needs us more than ever before. This is a moment in time, like I said at the beginning, that we're going to look back and say, this is a moment where I didn't know what the future held, but God was telling me to take a chance. God was telling me to take a step. God was telling me to do something sacrificially in order that our church might be built, in order that bridges might be built, in order that people might know God. I believe 10, 15 years later, we're going to look back at this time and say, that was a time when I took a step of faith. And that was a time where God did in us and through us something unlike anything we've ever seen before. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and I need you guys to come with me. I need you guys to come with me. Let's pray together. Let's pray if there are people in our lives that need to know Jesus. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for one or two people in a generation below us, younger people. Let's pray for them. Let's pray that God help us to be a bridge into our community to show the beauty of Christ to them. Pray for yourself that as God challenges and convicts you, that you would jump on board sacrificially to build bridges. We talk about that a little bit more next week to talk about what that means. Let's pray together for just a few moments and and then we'll uh, continue to worship through giving of our tithes and offerings. Father, here we see that, God, you're moving. A mighty river that's touching nations. It's touching lives here. It's a work of God that can only be attributed to God who's faithful to the covenant that he made. He's faithful to the prayers that were offered up years in advance and will continue to be faithful to the building of a church for the glory of your name. Father, move within us, stir us. Let now your church shine as a bride that Jesus saw in his heart when he offered up his life. Teach us, help us to shine Jesus' light to a world in need. In Jesus' name we pray.